Welcome to the third series of my podcast, Beyond the Water Cooler. I'm Lisa. As a psychologist, psychotherapist, and a business owner of It's Time for Change, I'm lucky enough to get involved with so many different aspects of employee engagement and experience. Whether that's about leadership style, mental health, the metaverse, attention and recruitment, after action reviews, or so much more, there is something on this podcast for everyone. My mantra is simple, get people right, get business right. You'll get to hear from some really interesting people who have stories, insights, and strategies to share about what it takes to be a great company with inspiring leadership, an awesome culture, and a wow workforce. So let's dive in. So Pete Sanders, co-founder and group MD at the Identify Group, is joining me today to discuss the challenge of recruitment. Um, This is something that so many companies are really struggling with right now, um, despite that arguably it should be easier than ever to uh, recruit people while we're remote working. So welcome, Pete, and thank you for joining me today. Lisa, thanks for having me. Um, So I'm really looking forward to unpicking what the problem of recruitment is really about, because there's been so much narrative about it over the past months years and it'd be really interesting to hear your perspective and try and get a slightly different angle on what companies should be or could be doing differently um, and how to differentiate themselves as an employer so that they become the places that people want to work um, so before we sort of explore that a little bit more let's start by hearing about you your role and how come you came to set up um, identify global in the first place yeah thank you um so um, so I've been in recruitment more years than I care to remember, and um, I've worked for um, lots of various um, small, medium, international uh, recruitment companies. And um, along the way, you know, when I first got into recruitment, uh, you know, it was very salesy, very, it's all about business development, all about sort of winning clients. And it was, you know, sell, 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 sell all the mm. time. And actually candidates were almost a byproduct of the recruitment process. Mm. Um, it was, you know, back then, you know, it was very much, you know, it was almost, uh, you know, it, it was almost a pleasure to work for a company and not the other way around, mm. right? So, um, so it was all about the, the client and, um, you know, and that was the way of the world in those days. But as I went through recruitment and as I worked for various others, um, whilst there's lots of good things, I always noticed that the candidates were the ones that just got, you know, burnt and dropped like a bad smell, basically. So, um, you know, um, so... I came to found identify um, after sort of really going up through the levels and working and, and nothing was changing and it was really bugging me and um, you know I had a coffee with my uh, co-founder Gary and um, we shared the same um, you know viewpoints really and we we looked around and there was there literally is no company out there no recruitment company out there that is candidate focused now mm. I know it sounds like an odd thing to say but you know what recruitment company wouldn't be candidate focused and and they all say they are you know um and, and, and any self-respecting recruitment company would say that. But when you ask them, okay, well, what does that mean? They can't, they say, well, you know, we've got good networks and we do this and, you know, we speak to people and they say, yeah, 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 whatever. So we found it identify on the pure premise of being candidate first, okay? Um, we can actually quantify that. So we're the only recruitment company that pays our consultants or rewards our consultants based on candidate experience. So to put that into context, so let's say you're going for a recruitment process. Typically, there's four or five candidates in the recruitment process. Okay, most recruiters, not all, by the way, most recruiters 
you know, halfway through the process will tend to know who is the preferred candidate. Mm. The, the hiring managers probably told them. Um, so, and then they, they're the ones that tend to get the gold shiny service. Mm. They're the ones that get text messages and they get, you know, they get calls and how you doing and, you know, how's your week been? They get all of that stuff. Um, and the four candidates that aren't so great don't get that. Okay. And they get dropped. Okay. And they'll only get feedback if they push for it or, um, you know, if the recruiters, you know, gets around to them, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so I'm worried about the four or five people that don't get the job. Okay. Mm -hmm. As opposed to the one that does get the job. So, and that's what we've built our business on is, is focusing on the four candidates, not the one candidate. Um, and that's, and that is how we came to, um, to start up Identify Global. And so is that, in terms of focusing on those four rather than just the one, is that about enabling them to have the same opportunities as that one? Or is that accepting that the company's made its mind up and they, they want to separate this one preferred candidate, but these other four still need something that you can provide? So um, it is about that, but it's also about service. It's mm. respecting that all four of those candidates want exactly the same service. They want the same, um, you know, uh, relationship with the recruiter mm. as the one that's getting the job. And mm. that just because they don't get the job doesn't mean, make them a bad candidate. It just means that they're not right for this particular job exactly. um, or particular company, or there just happens to be a better candidate on day. That's the, that's the, the nature mm. of recruitment. There's, there can only be one hire most of the mm. time. So it's about focusing on those and actually saying, you know, we're going to give you exactly the same service. We're going to feed back to you. We're going to call you and let you know the feedback at every stage, positive or otherwise, and let you know. So we, we survey our candidates on a regular basis. And the things that they tell us um, are, are most important to them is communication. They just want to know what's going on. They want to know how to, you know, get the best job. They want to know, should they be earning more money? Mm. Um, you know, what Are they earning the right amount of money? So we developed our 13 point candidate charter and which is regularly reviewed. And those are the things that are our service guarantee levels. So these are the things that the candidates say that they want from us and mm. from recruiters per se. Um, and these are the things that we say, and, this, and then when they go through the recruitment process to them, we say, did we meet these 13 points? Um, and if they do, then the recruiter gets 100% of their commission. And if they don't, then the recruiter's commission is clipped at various stages. So, for example, um, if the average score, if they score a nine and a 10 out of, um, out of the survey, then they get 100% of their commission. If it's a seven and an eight, they get 75% of their commission. And if it's a six and a below, then it's a difficult conversation about no commission. Because why would we reward poor service? There's absolutely no need for it. Um, so we're proud about our numbers. So we're, our average score is like 9.4. Mm. Um, and that's up there that's up there with your apples and your john lewis's mm. of the world and you know and and to put it into context the average score in the recruitment industry via the mps is four so, wow. so it gives you an idea of how poor the services are for the candidates so with, with technology that the way it is today there's absolutely no way and no excuse not to be able to communicate with a candidate in various different formats, whether it's text mm. messages, LinkedIn, blah, blah, blah. So, and, uh, I, and I think I, I love actually hearing you explain that whole process, because I know when you and I first met and we were talking about um, how we both got into our roles mm. and one of the, you know, my first ever job was teaching. The reason I left teaching was because the kids who were never going to get the grade were kind of pushed aside and let's focus on the ones who are going to 
who are our preferred people to focus on to make sure that we hit our um, targets. Yeah. And I left jo my job to work with those kids who have been pushed aside and, and make sure that they have equal opportunities to yeah. um, actually what they're entitled to and, and then what helps them continue to develop rather than being a cast off um, and actually just not having the same opportunities. And actually, you know, the, and, and that's the, you know, the, the world we live in, isn't it? It's Darwinism, you know, survival of the fittest and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and, and often the companies, you know, that we recruit for every company out there, they want the best people, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. Who doesn't? No one's going to say, yeah. have you got any bad candidates? Because I'd really like to have a chat with them. <laughs> um, but you want the best of the best. But, mm -hmm. and this is where we come in. And that's where, if you like, when I'm sitting in front and talking to clients and say, they say, well, how does that affect me? I'm saying, because, What's happening is, is that, yes, you get your one candidate, but you've got four candidates going away saying, what a terrible company that is, because you're dropping them and thinking, well, I don't care because I've got the person that I want. Um, we look after those people. They get a great experience. And then they go off going, I didn't get that job, but I really did like that company. The service I got was really, really good. They communicated with me. Yeah. So I will apply again if that happens in the future. Yeah. Um, and you'd be surprised how many people just aren't tapped into candidate experience and, and just treating them like commodities. And, you know, I appreciate, you know, they don't have time, right? They don't have the technologies that perhaps we recruiters have, you know, to do all of those things. But, you know, it's, um, it's so important. And even if companies haven't got the technology, and I agree that lots won't, actually just taking the time is so important, making the time. And I, I get a little bit frustrated with companies who say, we just don't have the time to do all this, because if you can't get the communication bit right and the relationships bit right, actually what that's your foundation on which everything else sits. So for me, it's always that you're, you've got to reallocate your resources. You've got to look at, you know, where are you spending your time? And is that effective use of your time? Or should you be spending a little bit more time connecting with people, building up those bonds, thinking about actually your branding, because everything you say or do is being communicated to the wider world. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when I, when I say the same to, to, to clients, that especially new clients, and I say your people are your biggest commodity in your, in, in your business, right? Mm. You don't spend more money on anything else in your business. It's very, mm. very rare that that would happen. Um, but you've got to bear in mind the people is a constant, right? You might spend money on a product. So, and I would say that like most companies, if they're going to spend, I don't know, £100,000 on anything, right? So let's say new IT systems, they go out to tender, they select mm. the best process, right? They, do, they go through this very structured, formal procurement process. Yet when it comes to people, it's a one hour conversation over teams and they'll make a snap decision. Yeah, not, not right for us. Yes. Um, you know, and yet this is like, you know, 70, 80, 90,000 pounds, you know, higher mm. plus recruitment fee, plus onboarding, plus equipment, you mm. know, et cetera, et cetera, plus ongoing payment and, and nicks and all that sort of stuff, mm. you know, and yet you'll do that with a one hour conversation and, um, you know, riddled with biases and, um, you know, and you'll just hire them or, or not, as the case may yeah. be. So, um, and you're right, you know, they've got people coming into their business. So I've worked with some huge companies that, don't have an applicant tracking system. Everything is done through email. You know, it's physically impossible. There's an absolutely no way you can manage a recruitment process yeah. via email um, effectively 
um, and with a high level of service and, and mm. experience. It's just not possible. Mm. It's a full-time job for someone to do that. And that's just with, you know, maybe working one or two or three roles. Mm. You know, most companies of any size are handling multiple roles at all different levels, different technologies, different skill sets, you know, from, from your front of house to your, you know, to your mm. CEO. You know, there's, there's a whole range of roles in there. So it's, it's really, really difficult. So when a company comes to you and they are struggling to recruit, are they interested in looking at um, that challenge for, around recruitment as part of a bigger picture? Or do they, in, in your experience, are companies just interested in, I've got a gap, I need to fill it? So it's that, you know, because it, that's a simple way, I've got a gap, I need to fill it, rather than actually let's look back, at, you know, the bigger picture and look at the challenges that we're facing. Yeah, so um, the, the, we, we get a mixture for sure. Um, you know, the companies that are really winning at the talent race are the ones that have really identified their culture, okay, mm. what it means to work for them, okay. And by culture, I don't just mean, you know, we're fast-paced, we're dynamic, you know, those sorts of culture words that mean nothing. Um, <laughs> but in terms of their purpose, okay, what it is they're actually trying to achieve. And, and everyone is pulling in the same direction, you know, and, you know, it doesn't have to be anything, um, you know, fantastic, like saving climate change or anything like that. We're not, you know, a purpose doesn't have to be some, you know, utopic view of, of what the business is trying to do. Um, but, you know, it's very clear about the business, what, you know, whether it's profit, whether it's, you know, growth, market growth, etc etc all of those things come into play um then we have those ones that are middle of the road like you say are the ones that well, we just need to fill this gap right um mm. and, um you know we you know, go out there and we want the best person for less money and um and we need yesterday you know you get those and then you've got those ones that are just you know they're, they're completely going into the market blindfolded they come they're coming to the market with a job spec that was 10 years old you know, they're out of touch with the market. They don't really care about their people. Um, and they're the ones that are struggling. And there's a lot of those companies out there. They're really, really struggling. And, um, you know, I, I genuinely fear for those companies. I think mm. they will get swallowed up and, and um, mm -hmm. they'll be gone in the next sort of five years. Um, so those companies that are, you know, the, the, the kind of best ones in, in that description that you've, that you've just provided who are, I've got their eyes quite open to the the current context. Um, they're kind of they're great. They're 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 doing their thing. But the next kind of two groups then who aren't really thinking about that big picture stuff is that something that recruiters should be getting involved with? So because I always think you know the term recruitment, like any label, means such different things to different companies. Um, you already explained how you define yourself and how you separate yourself from others. But I'm so I'm curious to know whether recruiters should be involved in helping companies sit back and say, actually, this is why you're having so many people uh, leaving. This is why you're struggling to recruit. Actually, you need to step back and look at what is going on with your culture and you need to look at communication and your sense of meaning and purpose and, and that sort of thing. How involved do you get with that? So as a business, we, we get involved deeply where where we're asked to um, a lot we we always suggest it um, because 
it helps us find the right people. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, so it's a big thing for us. So one of the things we do is we do a culture assessment with organizations. Um, we have our own um, online assessment tool, which is free, and people can go onto our website and do their own personality profiling. Um, it's it's better done at the start of the recruitment process than at the end. So typically, most companies employ psychometric at the end of the process. Mm. It's almost like we're all we all we want to know is whether you're a lunatic or not. Mm. Um, and they and the people that read them aren't trained. They don't understand mm. the reports. They don't know how to um, interpret them. Um, and all they do is they tend to look at it two ways. They look at it as all good or all bad mm. um, when they're reviewing these things. So, um, but if you if you do it at the start of the process, what you end up doing is interviewing people that are culturally right for your business. Okay, and if they do that at the start. And uh, this is what we do, and more and more recruiters should do, is if you recruit the right people, then you can train any skills gaps. Okay, you can um, you can develop people over time. But if you put someone into the wrong culture, mm. if all they do is spend time butting heads, doesn't make them a bad candidate. It doesn't make you a bad company. It just means that you've not really listened to what's being said, by the mm. or you've not taken time to understand. And, and the, an example I always use, and, and, and I, I say the same to everybody, even when our own recruitment process, if you're right or left-handed, so if, if I'm right-handed, so if I'm asked to write with my left hand every single day, it's really awkward, really clunky, you know, look like a two-year-old's writing. And then over time, I would get better at it. Mm. okay and it probably become a little bit more legible and mm. um, you know it would you know it would start to get better you know but the minute I switch to my right I'm just gonna go ah and that's the difference between working in the right culture and the wrong culture so if you hire these amazing skills and these really experienced people you know these you know you know can really do things for your business but if you haven't assessed them whether they're right for your culture or understand how you work with them which is you know probably more pertinent then you are literally just wasting your money. And as a recruiter, um, you know, I can keep recruiting for you time and time again because, you know, it's, it's your money. If you want to keep yeah. spending £15,000, you know, you know, a time on recruiting an £80,000 person, mm. be my guest. Um, mm. But I don't get a kick out of that. I get a kick out of watching companies grow and keep recruiting new roles into their business because that mm. shows progress and that's what people get excited about. If, if, if I have to go to a candidate and say, I've got this company, they're not really going anywhere. It's not a particularly great place to work. They Aspirationally, they want to be this, but they're not doing anything to get there. Um, I'm going to really struggle. And that's why you should work with a recruiter, because they will do everything they can to help you get the best people into your business. Now, being best doesn't always mean, like I say, you don't have to be all of these amazing things. Mm. Um, what you have to be is about honest about who you are where you're going and what you want to achieve when you when you truly understand those then it's really easy to find people because what we'll do is we'll go and tell that story to people and say this is what they're doing this is what they want to achieve and this is how they're going to do it mm. that's when people buy into you and then that's where the magic happens and I think it's really interesting because um, a report by uh, Morgan McKinley um, earlier this year was talking about how there's a massive shift uh, in terms of what companies are looking for to have more sort of technical specialist skills um, I guess because we've gone more online everything's more sort of remote working and that companies therefore are struggling to find people to fill the gaps who have those skills mm. and I always say um, to companies and it's obviously there are exceptions that like you 
I've just ex explained, it's always better to get the right person who's got the right fit. Because if you've got the right mindset and you get on with your team and you're, you know, you're willing to learn and develop with them and you completely believe in what that company is trying to achieve, then you can learn skills. So technical skills, as long as you've got the, the right kind of aptitude, you can learn those. But as you say, if you if people are just focusing on we need people who tick the specialist skills boxes, you're missing a whole um, raft of really important attributes that we need to be looking at or focusing on in order to make sure that that culture is the right fit. And, and you know, it's really important that we get the clear definition between skills and talent. OK, mm. there is a skills gap. There is no doubt about that. There is not a talent gap. OK, yes. and some people use those things in, interchangeably and they're not the same thing. There are loads of good people out there loads of great people that want to work for your company there's just the shortage in skills now you can train skills you can't train talent talent is is that culture bit and everyone is different and that's why i say you know if you put the wrong person in the wrong culture so actually spending time finding the right people that fit your business mm. um you know it's, it's proven time and time again and we've got loads of data to prove that in our organization um where if you recruit the right people they stay in your business longer Okay, they tend to be higher achievers. Mm. Okay, and you get a bigger return on their on your investment in that individual, and, and it is a huge investment as we just said earlier in terms of their salary. You know, obviously, average salary in our space is is around about seventy thousand pounds at the moment. So um, you're going to spend that sort of money. You want to get your return on that investment, and if you know, in this world where we're all remote, you want someone to feel sticky to your organisation. Um, you know, it's, it's a natural stickiness rather than this um, folk. You know stickiness where you know, you're doing teams meetings and you're dressing putting funny hats on to try and make you feel like you're in a culture yeah so so tell me a little bit more then um about your culture assessment because i think that's a really interesting aspect for people to get their head around like how do we well first of all lots of managers are struggling with actually how do i define my culture anyway like what is culture is a word that's banded around so much what does that look like what does that mean to us yeah. um so that's one big part of the problem. But the other part is they're making sure that the person coming into that company fits that culture. So, so what I'm, I'm curious to know what you look at when you think about culture and to make sure it's the right fit. Yeah. So, so there's lots of companies that have done their own sort of culture assessment and they, they know what it means to work for them and mm. recognize that, you know, diversity brings, you know, great thing to their organization and it's not about cookie cuttering right so a lot of people think when you do a personality profile for a company they just want the same type of individual in the company um, now that may be true in certain departments and things like that but as a company actually the more variety of skills and personality you have it the, the better so those are really easy and we align to those um those values if you like mm. um, when we're recruiting for those that don't um it's first of all is making them realize that it isn't about creating a sort of click and you know and a cliche sort of you know you look at your big sort of consultancies of the world you know like your EYs and things like that and nothing against those companies but they're all the same type of person right and you can almost spot them walking around London um, but most companies want variety and and it's working with those organizations and it starts with first of all we go in there and we work with these companies it's not a, a, you know it's a day session and we ask people what does it mean to work here why do you work here? What are the good things and what are the bad things? And we present those results to the people and say, did you know this is what people are saying about you? 
Okay. The next thing is about um, aspirationally. You know, some companies say we want to change our culture, or we want to, we want to improve our culture, um, and it's about then understanding what where they want to get to, and then we talk them through about how you get there. So that what that means is we work with different departments. So you'll have a sales team that have a different culture to a data analytics team, mm. for example, and um, understanding the cultures within those teams but then aligning those cultures and those values to the wider company values. Um, and it starts there. And it's, um, it's a really interesting process. And, and we love doing them because you, you sort of see their eyes start to twinkle again and they start to get really, really, really you know, excited about it. But what tends to happen in that situation when they don't engage someone like us or yourself is that they go, right, we need better culture. What we need is we, we need more dynamic people. So what they do is they go out and recruit loads of dynamic people and they come in and, and they have a shock, shock of their life. They go, oh my God, this place, what's going on here? They rub butt heads with all the people that aren't dynamic in the business mm. and then they end up leaving. And mm. then the people that are in there tend to win because they're the ones mm. that, you know, they've been in there a long time. They've got the, um, you know, they've got their feet in the ground there. So, um, and then as it all starts to break down. So what is it about? It's about gradually and then starting to apply those um, metrics into their recruitment process, mm. and recruiting people with those values um, that suit their business, suit their goals, suit their aspirations, and then gradually improves the culture over time. Um, and it isn't just a, you know, about recruiting the people. There has to be a you know, whole set of activities and things like that that go around that. But that's how we do it. We go in and we work with them. So we don't go in and say, this is what your culture should be. Mm. What we do is we say, what is your culture? This is what it looks like. Where do you want to be? And then move them towards that through things like psychometrics and obviously mm. the, the recruitment process. And so the culture assessment, then, is that different for every company you work with? So in a sense of finding the right recruit, uh, that person has to fit the specific outcomes of the culture assessment for the company they're applying for job for. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. So, so for example, I'll use the, 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 the data one, for example. So, mm. you know, for example, things you would look for if you didn't do a proper assessment. Now, you can obviously can do this through recruitment and asking questions, but... Mm most people are not skilled interviewers okay they've never had any interview training and mm. um, I've done about a blog about this previously where there's, there's no such thing as a bad interview only a bad interviewer okay because a good interview will understand uh, who you are and they'll get all asked all the right questions but most people aren't trained in that um, and that's not their fault that's you know most people are thrust into management um, but um, so that's the first thing right um, so they don't they don't know how to do that so through psychometrics and and, and you know you know questionnaires that are developed by much smarter people than me that you know they ask the right questions so for example the data modeler um you would do an assessment on that individual on that individual and if it came out that said this person was not interested in you know things like quality um you know being data driven you know you know they like to cut corners mm. that person is not right for that role mm. um at all right because and you have to recognize that they might be the best person in the world you'd like go for a pint with them and you know do all of those things they might be that person but they're just not that way inclined what and what the, the impact of that is is you're going to put someone into a job that they don't enjoy doing okay they'll do it for a bit you know back to that left hand right yes, hand bit. Yeah. they'll do it um but the minute something came along that interested them if they like you know they like to be fast-paced and dynamic and i'm going to keep using those horrible words but um you know, they're probably more inclined to being a salesperson, for mm -hmm. example, 
know, they're going to cut corners. They like to be, you know, they like change, constant change, all of those sort mm -hmm. of things that, you know, are attributes to another world, not necessarily sales, because not every salesperson is not. And not necessarily person. cutting corners all the time. Yeah, of course, no. <laughs> but, but, and quite, I hear know, what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, they're not, they're not bad attributes, is what I'm mm. saying. They're not bad yeah. attributes. It's just, it's things that there are certain roles where actually you need someone to think differently. You don't want yeah. someone who's going to be methodical and, you know, go through the finer details of everything. Sometimes you, you need, you know, and it, it goes back to that culture assessment is that when you're recruiting a team of people, you might need somebody that has all of those things, the different parts of those things, rather, mm. that create a team dynamic. So when you're sitting around a table trying to solve problems, and that might be part of what you're doing, is that you need someone who's going to think deep. You're going to need someone who's um, an instigator, get some things moving, because that's they're all the, the key mm. things of a team. If you've got a, a, a table around uh, people that are just thinkers, nothing's going to get done. Exactly. You'll come up with loads of ideas, and nothing gets done. Um, so that's that's what we're talking about in terms of you know culture and and building teams it's it's it's, it's, it's looking at all of those parts mm. as a whole and then building your team and saying well do you know what we've got loads of thinkers we could really do with someone that still has all of the attributes that we need but can um you know maybe come in and move us along a little bit mm. you know um or maybe someone that's going to come in and think differently you know um this person might be abstract you know really good abstract thinking yeah. you know let's bring them in they're still thinkers but actually we need someone to just challenge us a little bit and and it's recognizing those traits that um and that's how you build great teams and i think it's a really natural way then for companies also just to start reflecting on their culture because if you're looking to recruit and you're then going to go through this this assessment this kind of journey with you in terms of assessing what the culture is like to make sure they're getting the right person coming in mm. it's starting to highlight what their needs are what the strengths are but also what the needs are and I think that's the part that so many companies are not necessarily engaging with off their own back unless someone's saying actually you need to do this or that you know there's a particular need so mm. I, th I like the fact that you're helping companies explore that perhaps for the first time or perhaps they thought about it and they thought actually they tick all the boxes, they've got great culture, but they haven't really got down to asking people who work there those questions that you've outlined, you know, what's it actually like to work here, what are the good things, what they're not so good. Yeah, the, and the, the, the example, I, um, I really love this example because it really does highlight it. So we work with a security consultancy that are recruiting a number of security consultants and they're out on the road, okay? Mm. They, um, and they work around and um, they go from place to place and, uh, and often on the road, um, staying in hotels, etc etc mm -hmm. um you know they have to be in data centers um for days on end um with um with nobody to talk to so you know they came to us with the problem said look we're, we we can't recruit fast enough every time we're recruiting two we're losing three mm -hmm. um and um, we just can't can't you know don't want what to do so we went out and we assessed all of these people and the the people um and we were kind of well lucky enough rather to, to get a few people that just recently left and we said to them what you know we did the assessment and we said, why, why, you know, why did you leave? They're like, we just got bored. And um, when we looked at their profile, the, the common theme across these people that were leaving, and certainly those that wanted to leave, is that they hated being on their own. Mm. And yet, and we're like, well, these people, they, they just want to be around people. Um, and, you know, the work, the security consultants, not all security consultants work on their own, but lots of them do, mm. um, and certain types. And uh, so what we started doing is started recruiting people that were comfortable being on their own for long periods of time you know and there's lots of people out there like that 
yeah. you know people like to be on their own and work from home and all that mm. sort of stuff mm. the minute we started doing that their attrition rate improved mm. dramatically it's a really simple thing like that and that's what I mean about culture it doesn't have to be fancy words it's sometimes actually recognizing who you are the work you do and what you're trying to achieve and then recruiting people that suit that and that's just a really you know straightforward basic example and I and it's a really good example because it just highlights that all this is not rocket science when you actually break down looking at what a role involves and then you ask people who are interested in a role what they want and how they like to work it's it's you know you make sure they match (laughs) but it's and it's a it's so sounds so glaringly obvious why is it not happening more in companies so uh, because everyone needs something now okay Mm. people um and this is and again a strap line you'll hear me say on many times on linkedin is that there isn't um a skill shortage okay Mm. um there is a lack and willingness to train shortage um and Mm. if people investing that um then they will win the race and i say to many clients is if you're willing to develop someone not only will you get someone cheaper you'll get someone that really wants to work for you they're then recognizing you've supported them in their growth they'll stay with you longer they're going to leave at some point right yeah. that's just the nature of the beast if we all sort of you know if we all just agree that that's going to happen mm. then you know we can stop hiding behind the bush in, in, in that scenario but um it's going to happen so um and then you know, there's only a, you know, still only a small number of you, even if you was going to recruit all of the fresh grads that came out of university and they've got all these great skills and things like that, it's still going to be a skills gap. Mm. Okay. Um, but it will, it will reduce and, it, and you will start to win the race in terms of, you know, filling the jobs that you need to fill. Mm. The difficulty is, is that, um, you know, for every thousand pounds you'll pay, someone else will pay 2000 pounds more for that same person. And, and it's just a race to the bottom. Um, the reason they don't do that is because sometimes organizations don't really want to know what their culture is. Um, they're sort of hiding behind that. It was just before the pandemic, actually, for the first time in terms of the top priorities and, and of the CEOs, that they put culture as one of their number one priorities because uh, they recognized that that was um, something that drove profit to the bottom line. Mm. So um, they are starting to do it more and more. Okay. Um, but what they are ignoring is that actually, if you assess two candidates, I've got one candidate here who absolutely fits our organization and needs a bit of training. And then we've got another person who doesn't quite fit organization, but can do the job we need to do right now. Okay. Mm. So at the minute, it's, it's a, a battle of the deepest pockets. Mm. And I, I'm genuinely worried for that. For that, that, you know, that's why we're seeing inflation. Everything's going through the roof. Everyone's fighting for the same. You know, it's just, it's just, it's got to. It's gonna, it's gonna pop. Okay, and something, something's gonna snap, um, and it's gonna force organisations to do that. And the organisations that I'm working with, and that we, you know, we would really like to work with because they're doing recruitment really well, um, are the ones that are, are winning because they, they really get it. Um, the, the other thing that. that I'm going to be bold here. I'm going to say that the other thing that organizations are doing and the reason they're not doing this is because they're scared of diversity. Okay. Mm. Back to that example I used a minute ago about finding the right person to do the job. So let's say I need someone with high attention to detail, um, you know, things outside the box, um, methodical process driven. Okay. Okay. They're the qualities of, I would say, 
a large proportion of neurodiverse candidates. Mm. Okay. Um, but nobody wants to recognize that. Mm. Okay. We've got all of these qualities in an individual. We've, you know, and we've sat there and we've, you know, if, and I've seen them in job specs. They're listed in the job spec. These are all the things you need. And yet we'll go and hire someone who doesn't have those qualities but has a qualification and we'll recruit them and we'll pay them money and we'll ignore the fact that they're not doing an amazing job. I would much rather have someone doing an amazing job yeah. for me. It might even be a small role within that job. Yes, they might not be able to do some of the other things that person can do, but that is, that's the same situation we're in, isn't it? Mm. We've got a candidate that can do some bits of it that hasn't got that bit and we've got a candidate that does that and can't do that. So I'd much rather have that person because I know that they're going to be more valuable longer term than someone who can come in and fill a job and um you know move on so that 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 is where i think organizations they're scared of you know creating that diverse environment they all say they want to they all say they want yeah. to but they don't i can tell you now they don't i speak to companies every single day and they'll drop lines into emails and things like that and you're thinking basically what you mean is you know they've got poor communication or they're not the type of person you would like to recruit um, and we just walk away from those companies and we just say look I, I think you need to find somebody else to, to, to you know because they're just ignoring those things. So, what, what do you think is driving their fear or kind of building that reluctance to engaging with sort of diversity? Um, lack of support, lack of knowledge, um, you know they're scared of doing the wrong thing some yes. some companies want to do it they're scared of doing the wrong thing mm. not being able to support that scared of litigation you know all of those things and that's sad um but actually you know there are lots of things and support groups and even organizations out there that support support organizations that want to do those now not enough unfortunately um but they're, they're often the blockers that they don't know um and it's but then and like, like I said earlier, you've got these companies that are scared of their own culture. They don't really, they, they think, oh, we'd really like to hire this person, but if we put them into that team, we're not quite sure mm. or you know, how they would sit within the business. And we don't want that person to be, you know, all of that sort of. Yeah, you know. whereas actually they can look at that whole opportunity as, as a wonderful opportunity for everyone to learn more about that particular aspect of diversity. And I know when I've had conversations with companies before who are, they feel like they're walking on eggshells because they're like, well, we don't know what isn't isn't okay to say. So we don't say anything at all, which is a bit like not doing anything in terms of recruiting these people because it's safer. And yeah. is as long as people make their intention known, um, make it very clear that actually we want to do the right thing, we want to do the best thing, we want to become a cohesive team or whatever the motivation is. If they're if they're making that quite clear, then you're you and you ask for feedback in terms of if I say something or do something that doesn't quite fit it feels inappropriate offensive whatever then do feedback to me then actually you're opening up those lines of communication you're educating people about actually what it is like uh for every member of the team to live in their own reality whatever whatever that's about so I think yeah I, I would agree with you that the, that sense of fear about saying or doing the wrong thing blocks people and, and actually it could easily be reversed, assuming you've got the right culture of psychological safety and good communication yeah. and trust and so on. Um, but I think it's, a, it's something that companies are really missing out on. Absolutely. My, my one wish, and you know, when we were going through the pandemic, as everybody, you know, you do a lot of soul searching and, and um, you know, it, it sort of occurred to me that actually this is, this is the watershed moment for 
um, companies being more confident to recruit diverse candidates because people can work from home. Okay, so that you know, not everybody you know just because you're neurodiverse doesn't mean you're the only candidate out there. You've got people that you know have got mobility issues and you know um, you know they're, they're scared of big spaces or small spaces or whatever it looks like. You know they 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 can't travel into London. You know you've got these companies that can now have got access to the world okay mm. um or if not they don't want to recruit globally even the uk they recruit anyone in the uk right now anyone mm. okay from the comfort of their own home you know those people that were previously untapped or not reachable by some of these companies um you know and there's some people out there with some fantastic skills and degrees and and knowledge that weren't within the you know the traditional 30 mile mm. radius of the office you know or couldn't get on a train to London or, or didn't whatever. want to be in the office because they don't yeah, like yeah. being around people <laughs> exactly yeah and yeah. now you know you can tap in so and you still need to recognize culture in a remote working environment mm-hmm. and um, you know back you know that purpose side of things you do need to recognize that um and they need to be feel part of something mm-hmm. um you know that's the main reason a lot of people go to work you know they pay the bills but they, they like to feel part of something mm-hmm. and um now you've got access to those people so you know the gloves are off um, mm. and, you know those that are really bold have, have got an opportunity to, to come out fighting and, and win the best talent and I think there's been a lot um you know in on LinkedIn and kind of uh, in the media recently about um D. you know there's companies have not been investing in their people uh who are currently employed uh, with them to make sure that they are developing in terms of uh, their career in terms of developing specific skills and so on and I think there's a real opportunity for people to be educated for their um, knowledge and awareness to increase around not just specific skill sets or what's the next step up the uh, rung of the ladder to, you know, next point in my progression, uh, my career, but about neurodiversity or about um, communication skills or about conflict resolution, you know, positive conflict or, you know, the kind of the, the side of, business that we don't necessarily tap straight into we don't think these are the key aspects that we should be developing people in but actually in my book they are because if we can get that bit right all the other stuff happens much more easily because people are in the right place mentally to be able to get on and learn and feel comfortable feel relaxed trust and and so on everything that they need in order to be able to perform their job well yeah absolutely yeah it's some the, the managers you know the ones that you know I felt for in the pandemic because no one sort of pulled them aside and said right you know this is how we need to look after everybody and this mm. is you know, we now need to use all of those skills that we haven't trained you in um and uh, to look after these people and be empathetic and caring and you know and you know you need to give people a bit of slack and all this sort of stuff and um and, and now we're seeing those people those managers that really struggled as you know really trying to drive people back into the office um and I'm, I speak to people every day that are just saying you know, um, my company's just called me. Um, they want us now to go back into the office two, three days a week. And I'm mm. like, okay, well, what for? I don't, well, just to do the work, basically. And you're like, oh, okay, fine. You know, literally every single day we have this conversation. Mm. You know, I want something a bit more flexible. You know, I'm happy to go into the office for whatever reason, but I want it to be a reason. Yes. Um, and, you know, those those managers just are, are being left behind, That you know, and I think we'll see that next wave manager, all these people that are being trained now on mental health and, you know, and um, um, psychological safety mm. and all this sort of stuff that is really important in today's world um, that 
um, you know, they're going to become the next wave of managers um, unless these other ones sort of skill themselves up. Yeah, because I, I talk a lot about accidental managers and, and do a lot in that area of actually helping them gain not only the, the skills, the knowledge, but also the confidence in how to navigate change because our brain will automatically pull us back to what's familiar. It's a bit like your left-handed, right-handed uh, mm. example. And so although people say, oh, we've got used to this new way of working, the reality is there's still this pull back to what we used to have. So we, I, you know, I feel, I feel much more secure if I have, if I could see my team a few days a week, <laughs> kind of, mm. it helps me feel better. And actually that manager needs to have a conversation with someone about why, why do you need that to feel better? Like what, what's actually really going on here? So, so having the conversation with the manager rather than it impact, rather than just allowing that to happen and uh, impacting on such a, a, you know, large number of people, but it's yeah. that fear of, accepting change and being able to move on with change and understanding the benefits of it which unless we consciously work through that we struggle it's that it's the tendency just to pull back to what we know and what's familiar yeah so um in terms of you were talking about money earlier and about uh companies are going to want to keep paying more and more and the competitors you know will they'll up their game they'll give you a bit more money at some point the money is going to run out um, and so companies will have to do more in terms of saying well we will invest in your um, you know your development for your career and we'll give you flexible working and so on what are the biggest um, incentives that you're seeing for people who are wanting to jump ship so in terms of you know is it just the the salary or are there other key factors that actually will, will cause people to say I, would, I don't want to be here anymore I want to be with that company over there yeah so there's there's lots of creative ways I mean flexibility is um and it's a true flexibility so mm. one of the things we're seeing now that um candidates are becoming really aware of is the contract okay so um what people are saying now you know they say yeah yeah we're flexible and yeah we do remote working but then they get a contract and the contract still says you're contracted to work in the office nine till five, um, but we operate a remote working policy, okay, mm. which at the discretion of the managers will be yeah. reviewed, <laughs> right? Something along those lines. So that's the thing that um, people are going, do you know what? Unless it says it in my contract, I'm not interested, mm -hmm. okay? Because as I said earlier, more, you know, we're seeing it a lot now, you know, more and more companies are starting to say, okay, well, we would like you to come in, you know, once, twice a week, whatever. Um, there's nothing wrong with that okay there's nothing wrong with that but just be strong and about it. yeah yeah this is what we're doing and, and if that's what you wanted to do put it in the contract mm. you know and again the, the companies that do that have no issues recruiting people to come and work in the office there are lots of people out there that want to go and work mm. in an office at least once or twice a week or twice a month or whatever it is so there's nothing wrong with that but be clear be honest and be transparent and people will work with that as long as they know what they're working with where there's a level of uncertainty people um, will make their own choices mm. okay and again especially in this remote world is that you know you're disconnected from that that employee whether you like it or not okay and actually the only benefit you've got right now is the fact that they're probably not in the office every day because if you were forcing them to come into the office every day they're probably going to be really unhappy um, and they'll be looking to get out of their quick sharp. So, so that's, the, that's the first thing is being absolutely transparent and having a range of benefits that suit them. Okay. Mm. 
most people don't care whether you've got a cycle to work scheme, you know, um, unless they're planning on, like I did many years ago, bought a, a bike for my child. I thought, oh, this is a good little quick win. I'll go and do it through that. So it's one of those things. So look, I know everyone can't compete um, for benefits of some of these companies and big pensions and bonuses and all that good stuff. But the ones that really do well are the ones that have a range of flexible benefits that people can pick and choose from. Okay, mm. uh, and actually, when you're speaking to your your team, saying what what would you actually like, you know, rather than just going out there and saying, well, by the way, we've got this for you, and everyone goes, oh, great, I'm never going to use that, you know. Mm. Um, not everyone wants to go to the gym, you know. Not everyone wants, um, you know, what's the other common ones you get? Um, oh yeah, <laughs> it makes me laugh when people put a um, uh, the the train loan on as a benefit, the, the <laughs> interest free loan. It's it's um yeah. it's an interest free loan if you just buy it directly anyway. Um, so um so this little things like that that people don't understand. But um in terms of uh, the the things that most people are looking for now in jobs, yes the money, yes the flexibility, range of benefits. But it's back to that purpose. Mm. The companies that put out job specs that are specific to what you want them to do. And again, I mentioned it earlier is let's all, you know, let's just come to the agreement that people aren't going to be there for a lifetime. If you write a job spec for a two year period, it's so much more engaging. People are so much bought into that role than they are for a job spec that lists everything that someone's ever done in that role since it was ever made, you know, um, People are going to look through that and go, God, I don't want to do it. That's boring. That's boring. Now, it might be something they do once a year. Mm. It doesn't need to be in there. Tell them what you want them to do. Mm. Then they come in, they deliver that. You can review that in two years' time. In fact, it's probably every job that you go into is probably constantly reviewed because you're always doing loads of different things and mm. businesses pivot and change direction and, um, and your role changes and projects get cancelled and new projects come in. That happens. Mm. But if you if you want someone to come in and do something, write the job for that. I guarantee you, you know, and far be it for me to take business out of my pocket. But if you write an advert and put it out and, and say, we need someone to come in and do this for the next two years. OK, um, you'll get loads of applications. It okay? excites it, people. It feels yeah. real. It's like I can I can connect with that. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah. yeah. OK, great. You can do that. Come in do an assessment are you right for our business yes you are great let's interview you yeah okay um and then you'll you'll weed out so many people that's where you know you start to bring down your salary brackets because mm. what you find then is people can do the job mm. and they're motivated by doing the job okay that's a personality trait mm. um you know they're motivated by doing that and then or completing or the journey whatever it is um your salary levels will come down naturally because um or you find that you pay the premium that you're willing to pay, but you get exactly the right person as yes. opposed to someone that says, well, I can do that job. I really like doing this job. Mm. Um, you know, well, this is where my skill really, really lies. Mm. So, yeah, so that, that I would say is the biggest thing people can do to attract people in today's market above salary and benefits. Mm. And I think also, you know, when people, you know, so much of the research shows that people are demanding um flexible working they want to work remotely uh there's been a real push actually they want that to be permanent and a lot of employers are sort of shaking their hands in the air saying oh my gosh that doesn't fit for our business but when they um, if you unpick that in terms of why they're asking for that and you understand that it's because they want 
to be able to go and have a workout before they go to work or they want to get a better sense of balance for um, meeting their own needs during the day um they want to uh have a an opportunity to work away from the office because they feel they can be more productive so they want that sense of just their own space rather than having other people around whatever it is if they actually understand the why someone is saying i want this then so many companies can still deliver that can still you know i talk a lot about personalization actually find out what people want what they need in order for them to be able to engage best in that environment with that particular team and then see what you can do to meet that because i think often when you when you hear what people want it's that aha moment it's like oh yeah we can do that <laughs> it's not really that you want to work entirely 100% away from the office it's actually that you you want these particular abilities during the day and i think if we were a bit more aware of that but again that comes down to that being really connected with people and i know your you know term you've used about is the is kind of the disconnectedness mm. of um employers from their from their workforce and that's what's causing a, a big problem right now absolutely and and you know i get it right i'm a business owner you know it, it's a worry that i have you know and, mm. and i would say that we're probably as relaxed as most you know more than many companies but you know there's always that output and and and, and what i say to people is that you still have power right as a company you still if people aren't doing the work and they're not delivering, then then get rid of them, mm. right? It's, it, it's, and it sounds harsh, but you go through a process. Look, you haven't delivered this. Your work is substandard. That, you have that conversation any day of the week. It doesn't matter whether they went to the gym in the morning. It, it's yeah. The conversation hasn't changed. The only thing that's changed is actually some people realise that, you know, people realise now that actually they need more um, than just the office and they need to look after their children and you know and now you can do shared parenting you know people you know more so than ever because mums mm. and dads are working from home and or, or whatever the combination is and then we've got um uh you know organizations that uh, are worried about people not doing on the, doing the work that they're supposed to be doing i stopped worrying ages ago and you know people are adults they're grown up right yeah if, if they want to work there they're going to do the work they're going to be engaged yes and they'll do it you give them the power to do that you have the power to take it away and i just keep reminding people of that and they go oh yeah but they they, they go on well the thing is if i do it for him or her then i've got to do it for him or her and i'm like well, yeah that's how it works <laughs> yeah but that means i could have no one working in this that i said no no you just manage that and it comes back to the issues <laughs> with that individual. Like, why are they not trusting their, their team? And actually, that's a bigger problem, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's an old school way of thinking, right? And, um, you yeah. know, because that's the world we come from. You know, mm. I, I came from that world. You know, you had to be at your desk yeah. working, ready to, you know, you know, go or else, you yeah. know. Um, and it's been driven into you. Thankfully, we've moved on. And yeah. I never, I, even then, I did not work well in that environment because I, I just thinking well why I mean I'm you know doing everything I need to do I'm, I'm you know above target I'm probably one of the top sales people in the in the business at that particular time well, why I need, bit, I need a bit of freedom you know the time I had uh, my first child was being born and I'm thinking I'd really like to see him in the morning I'd really like to see him I didn't see him you know at night for probably best part of three years because he was always going to bed you know before I got mm -hmm. home so mm -hmm. I'd go in look at him and he'd be asleep and I'm thinking I wouldn't want that for anyone no. so no. you know and why would anyone now you know there's obviously boundaries like I say if if things aren't getting done you yeah. need to say look we need to move on but 
yeah, processes one. for that. But and and I guess if we if we just if our outlook is around um, empathy, compassion, just being human, mm. then we put ourselves into a much better position to do the right thing by the people. Um, yes. So what two or three pieces of advice uh, or must do's, let's be even more assertive and just say, actually, you know, these are the things that you think business leaders should be going and doing now in terms of helping themselves connect to reduce this recruitment problem. So the first thing that you must do is you must understand your culture, okay? Mm. And that might be a small investment. Um, you could do it yourself. You might have a really skilled HR team. Uh, you might need to use some external support. It doesn't have to be a recruitment company. Uh, not many recruitment companies have that capability, but an external consultancy. Um, and you truly understand your culture of your business um, and your purpose, okay? Um, it's a really eye-opening exercise, and um, I recommend every company to do that. If you understand your purpose, and a lot of companies do, it's then taking time to go and understand your culture and you know, going through all of the different parts of your business, okay? Um, and you will get different results in different parts of your business. So that's the first thing you need to do. If you really, really want to win, win the recruitment race um, and slow down your spending on recruitment, your attrition rate, um, and, and improve your return on investment. Um, the second stage then is to then align your job specs, okay? Align um, all of your recruitment processes to that. Okay, and do not falter on it in any way. If that means you have to take longer to recruit someone, then so be it. Do not falter on that um, and have a structured um, recruitment process that aligns to your, your company culture values, okay, as well as the skills, obviously. Mm. But you know, those things, you, you know, I'm not saying you should just, you know, recruit any old Tom, Dick or Harry off the street, you know, just because they fit your culture. But, you know, they have to, there has to be a balanced score across mm. the business. Mm. Um, and then... Um, as part of that, once you've done those two things, only then can you truly manage and develop those people because you've understood who they are, how they fit into the process, and then how you can develop them from there. Um, and that's how um, you retain your employees. So attract, measure, retain. Um, you know, they're the, they're the key aspects. And um, when you look at it in those points, um, it really is straightforward, um, you know, Hopefully no one, not everyone does it because it'll put me out of business. But, um, <laughs> but you know, that, you know, there'll always be roles that you need help recruiting. And that's where mm -hmm. we come in uh, for those mm -hmm. hard to fill specialist roles where your normal channels, whatever, don't, don't work. That, that's where we come in and, um, and we help organizations. But, um, you yeah, know, th those three things will fix a lot of your problems. Um, and I, I, I like that. And I like how, um, how clear those are. And actually people listen to this should be able to take away, well, either just contact you or actually just start to think about some of those aspects themselves in terms of what they already know in for those for those particular areas. Um, so a question for you, because you talked about uh, the whole idea of companies writing a job description for like the next two years, the, the role. So a question for you that I'm gonna ask all my guests um, in this series is what's top of your list personally or professionally for the next three months god um <laughs> if you'd asked me this at the beginning of the pandemic I'd, i would say I'd, i wouldn't even be here because it was um you know it was a crazy time mm. um the the top thing for me uh, over the next three months is um to continuing to build our first class candidate experience so we um are 
building a whole new strategy around our candidate experience. So we uh, have been out speaking to our candidates, understanding what's changed in the pandemic. Um, I'm not going to give too much away right now because um, it's, it's quite exciting. So we've been we developed our strategy, uh, which is going to be around our candidate outreach and what our candidates want from us. Um, and we're focusing on that for the next three months, which um, we'll be launching probably around uh, you know, first well, first week of January. Brilliant. Oh, I want to hear more about that when you develop that then. <laughs> what's, what's this space? Yeah, three months and counting. Um, <laughs> okay, so finally, one of my um, previous guests, Eric Collins, has provided a blind question for you. Okay. So you're looking nervous now. Um, <laughs> what is it for you that's been sufficiently compelling to want to allocate this time to join me on this podcast? Um, okay, yeah. So, I mean, I, I sort of alluded to that at the start, really, is that mm. um, I'm, I'm, I'm a career recruiter, been doing this a long time, and I'm, I'm passionate about watching business grow. I love it. It's, it's one of those things I found my calling when, when I fell into recruitment. And, um, and I love to educate people from, um, you know, from a non-biased perspective and um, to really educate people in the recruitment process. I see so, you know, I have a fortunate um, role of seeing many many companies do recruitment and some that do it fantastic and and I like to share that knowledge mm. um, to help everybody do it and like I, uh, I don't want to put myself out of business but um, you know that you can do it. it's really really simple it really is simple but it just takes a bit of time um, and a bit of effort and recruitment is just it's such a strange thing as I said earlier you know if, if you was going by a hundred thousand pound new IT system you go through a really strict procurement process but they don't do it for recruitment there's companies spend millions on recruitment and they don't have a procurement process mm. they don't have a structured interview process mm. it's different every single day of the week mm. what are you doing you know <laughs> um you know but you know so that's 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 my um if you like why i do these things and um obviously we've met before and uh, we know we shared a lot of um mm. same passion so um yeah it was just an opportunity to come and talk to you well i'm extremely grateful that you have because i love your no nonsense frank conversation <laughs> and and very good clear advice um i like the fact that what you're doing is is open-minded it's based on data it's about fit it's about looking at the bigger picture of recruitment which is why i was really keen to have this conversation with you today because when we met and we were in you were talking all about culture and and so on i was like actually you're you're someone who completely gets the, the agenda that i'm um driving forward as well so thank you ever so much for your time today much appreciated and we will be watching the space in terms of what's happening with your uh next next moves and three months time i want an update <laughs> yeah thanks for having me on lisa i really enjoyed it thank you all right take care Thank you for joining me today on the Beyond the Water Cooler podcast. I hope it's got you thinking about how you can make a real difference to company culture that enables people to engage and thrive. I'm always about providing real value and so I need your help. Please rate the podcast and review it to let me know what you have enjoyed and found helpful. Maybe you also have ideas about specific topics or guests who you'd like to hear from in the future. If you would like to explore any of the points covered in these episodes, I would love to hear from you. Let's continue the conversation. Email me at it's time for change or connect with me on LinkedIn or why not pick up the phone? I love to walk and talk. My details are in the show notes. Please do let me know what inspires you. 
that way I can make sure what I'm talking about is most helpful. Until next time, bye for now. Bye.